Frosted Leaf is Denver's most innovative dispensary. What I like about Frosted Leaf would probably be their knowledgeable bud tenders, their online kiosk, their online ordering, and then just pick up at the store. And then they're always getting new genetics as well, so that's always cool. Like Edgar mentioned, Frosted Leaf gives you no lines, no weight, and a self-paced direct shopping experience that allows a fast yet comfortable transaction without the awkwardness of a waiting room. Not only does Frosted Leaf have the hottest strains, but they also offer a rewards program that will help towards your purchases. I would recommend Frosted Leaf to a friend and I would tell them to look forward to different strains and to knowledgeable help. Check out Frosted Leaf's three Denver locations and download their app today. Hey everybody, welcome into the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage. Before we jump into the show, I want to tell you about this really awesome deal for BSN listeners. If you didn't know by now, Total Beverage is delivering beer, wine, and liquor to anywhere in the North Metro area from Wheat Ridge to Erie. For a limited time, Total Bev is offering $10 off a $50 purchase on their website and app. Use promo code BSN10 to save $10 off a $50 purchase for all your parties and have it delivered straight to your door. Let's jump into the show. I am your host today, AJ Hayfley, alongside Nathan Rudolph. Today, we are going to be getting into a little bit more draft stuff because we're two weeks out from the draft and that's just natural. Um, we've pretty thoroughly talked about the guys at four. We've talked about the guys at 16 forwards, goaltenders, defensemen. Now we're going to get into that second round area and start talking about some of the guys that you may be not as familiar with some of the guys that we, we like, uh, because there are a lot of darts to throw at who's available and what's going to happen in the second round. Uh, we have decided we're going to try and be as thorough as possible. We're going to run down six whole players for you today. Uh, unless some of our lists overlap, in which case, then it will be less than six. Yeah, I I think it should be fun. This is the part of the draft where you can choose your favorites and, and defend them however you like. Yeah, it's uh, you don't have to, you know, if, if you love a guy, if you love Cole Caulfield at the fourth pick, uh, you know, you're not allowed to say that on the internet. <laughs> uh, so at the 47th pick, you're allowed to love pretty much anybody. It's 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 the free love part of the draft. So uh, I guess let's just jump right in, man. Let's let's get straight into it. And uh, I believe you're set to go first. So at 47, who's one of the guys that you like the absolute most? Well, I'm not confident he'll get to 47. But if he did, I would not think twice and take him immediately. And that's Simon Holmstrom. Uh He's a six foot one. I think he's almost 200 pounds now power forward that played in the super elite league this year over in Sweden. I think he got a game in the SHL as well, but, but mostly in the junior league over there. And I really love his game because of his size. He has that ability that all of the Swedes seem to have where they never, ever shy away from physicality. His play with the puck is fantastic. I think he's super strong when he has the puck on his stick and when he plays angry, that's my favorite part about him. He doesn't back down from anyone. Yeah. Unfortunately, he, he drops to the second round one because he never really broke into a professional league over there. It was against weaker competition in the Super Elite League, and he definitely does have some consistency with issues with his compete level. Uh, you can see, actually, at times like McKinnon was this year, where if something doesn't work out for him, you can visibly see the frustration on him, and he kind of just gives up on plays occasionally. Yeah, I um for me it's really the hip. Yeah. Like the number one concern that I have. That's fair. Uh, a, a teenager 
uh, with who's had a major hip surgery makes me real nervous. Yeah, it's at least you know what you're getting into there, but yeah, injury absolutely. concerns are are always you have to be sure what that injury is going to be going into the future. Yeah, I I worry about the effect that the hip is going to have on his skating. Um, by a lot of accounts, he wasn't the same kind of skater coming out of the injury as he was uh, before it. And some of that might just be rust and conditioning and the fact that he just hadn't been able to play for a while. Uh, and in his draft year, there's obviously a rush to get back and, and do something. Yeah. Uh, to put up. something yep. on the ice. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, um, I'm just, that's my real concern there. Because I, I agree with, I like the talent. Uh, I When he showed up at the end of the year, all of a sudden it was like, who is this guy? Like, all right, here we go. Right. And, you know, I, I know some people even have him going in the late first. Honestly, I think that might be a little high for him, but he probably doesn't make it to 47. And I think given his build and the way he plays, he can get by even if his, his skating doesn't return to even like 90, 95%. Uh, but like you said, you have to consider that and project him based off of that. And, you know, when they, when you talk about injuries, um, the first injury always makes it easier for a second injury to occur down the road. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you do, you know, I, I would just be nervous about it. A major hip injury as a teenager is a, is a serious concern. Uh, it's like yeah. NBA teams that get really freaked out by guys with back problems. And you know. it, and it's it's totally fair. We've seen the Avs take guys with injuries pretty regularly, and sometimes it works out okay, like Nick Henry, and sometimes it doesn't, like Josh Anderson. Yeah, well, and um, you know, Nick Henry—that's a shoulder injury. Like that's right. a right. That's a different kind of injury where still skate just fine. <laughs> right. Well, it did not. It did in no way did it fundamentally change his game. Uh, he came back and was still the same guy. It could I like I could have seen it where he was just not as comfortable um, playing the same kind of style uh, after that, but physically it didn't change anything. Yeah, uh, with fair. Holmstrom, um, it's it's had an a it's had an effect on that skating, and that's a minor concern for me. At forty seven, like there's going to be a red flag on every guy we talk about, and there's going to be a red flag on the guy that they take. Um, if if past injury is the biggest red flag and you're not as worried about the skill level. Uh, you're not worried about his ability to translate moving forward. Those are all really good things. Amen to that. And that's why I'll go at 35 and not 47. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he is a guy. And I think most of the guys we're going to talk about here early on in the first part of the show are, we don't expect them to make it. Right. They're the uh, fallers that if they're there, we win. <laughs> exactly. Like just take this guy. Yep. Uh, okay. What else? Uh, who else you got? Uh, my other one that I would have as as a faller type is Caden Korzak. Mm. I've been pretty heavy on the drum that the Avs need to take defense with their early to mid round picks, like this one. And, and Korzak, I think, is a is a super. I don't want to call it safe, but I think he'll be he'd be a really consistent pick for them to take if he makes it to forty seven. He's another one of those well rounded D men that can the kind of do everything for you. Definitely a little bit of question on the offensive upside. I think he only scored four goals this year, but he's still a solid player and certainly has significantly more offensive upside than than guys we've seen them draft in the past. 
I I like the player a lot, actually. You and I have talked about him before. Yeah. Um, I'm curious what you think the upside is there, because I, as much as I, I think he's a very clean prospect, mm-hmm. um, where I don't have major red flags with him, but I wonder just how good is he going to be? And what are what's the timeline look? What's the expectation? How good does it get with him? I mean, perfect world, probably looking at a number four, maybe if he really peaks out, maybe a number three type defenseman. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm not sure how much offense is there, but he's the type of guy that I think you get a Patrick Nemeth out of as a floor type player. And that's an NHL caliber defenseman. So if you're looking for a safe defensive pick, I think he's it with maybe you get a little bit lucky and he finds that offensive and passing ability at the next level to be able to contribute there as well. Okay. And he is a guy that I do. And at 47, honestly, I think he's a guy that uh, has a very realistic chance to be there. Yeah. I see a lot of people mocking him earlier in the second, but I think he's more realistic at 47 than Holmstrom. We'll put it that way. If there is one thing I do find interesting about this draft class or one of many things, honestly, uh, it's that the defensemen get like, there's like a mid first round run where there's a bunch of guys kind of clustered. Yep. And then after that, I feel like it's a lot of forwards that are going to go in the 20s. Yeah, I agree. And then starting at the top of the second round, I feel like we could see another run of like six to ten defensemen. Yeah, that third uh, kind of tier. That are all in that big cluster where it's like pick your poison of any of these guys. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's pretty reasonable that the Avs will have their pick of whatever's left over of that of 47. And most of them I'd be happy with them taking. Yeah, it would be it would be tough to to argue too much with a lot of the guys that are going to be in that. Um, as much as I like the the concept of taking a defenseman at forty seven, just because are you really going to take all these forwards like forward, 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 forward? That's what you're going to do. That's um, <laughs> I I do like I I just flat out like the forwards more than I do the defensemen in this draft. Where where Colorado's drafting each spot, I like. Uh, more of them. Uh, I like I like the forwards a lot more than I do the defensive guys who are kind of ranked in those ranges. That's fair. Uh, um, so I guess that leads me right into my first guy in the second round. It's a guy that uh, I know you're probably tired of hearing me talk about, um, <laughs> but it's it's one of the American kids, and John Beecher is my guy. Man, I really like his game. Um, having watched a, a lot of games from this team this year, uh, you know, because of all the top guys that they have, uh, yeah. this is a guy that I, has consistently flashed for me as a, and, and this is a dude playing a third line role just because it was hard for him to break into the top six of that group. Fourth line, even sometimes. Just, yeah. And that's just not a knock on him. That's just how stacked that team is. Right. And we've talked about this between, uh, between Hughes, Zegras and Turcotte. Those are all three centers right there. Yep. Uh, and then, you know, there's, there are some people who think Boldy could be a center in college. And right. so it's like that the opportunity for Beecher just really hasn't been there. But what I like is that he took to that role. He, that role just meshed so nicely with him. Uh, he's got great size. He's already six foot three, 210 pounds. And yeah. at 18 years old, that's tantalizing size. If the kid has any feet at all. And he does, he's got, he's pretty quick on his skates for a guy, his size. Uh, 
you know, he's not going to remind you of Jack Hughes. You're not going to get the two confused, <laughs> but the kid can flat play and he's already an advanced faceoff guy. Very good on the PK does all of the defensive things well, because that's what he was asked to do at this program. And then he's going to get an opportunity um, at the next level. And at Michigan, starting next year at Michigan, he's going to be, he's going to be a guy that is, gets to show off. Does he have more skill than that? Uh, but at, at very worst, at very worst, you're drafting a guy at 47 that is a great skater and is already advanced defensively and could easily profile as a third line center. Even if his offense doesn't take a major jump. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I think especially if the abs don't end up drafting a guy like a doc or a bigger player, like Cousins, something like that. Mm-hmm. There's definitely a hole to fill for a bigger offensive or bigger forward, whether his offense comes or not, you can yeah. use that size and his defensive play as well to, to find him a role pretty easily. Yeah. And I do. And, and the, the major concerns about him are, you know, Oh, he never really flashed like high end talent. Uh, and the the skill level might be lacking quite a bit. You know, he yeah. may, he may be a guy that could only score ten goals for you at the you NHL know, level. I, I do think there are legitimate questions about his skill level, but he is a quality player in and around the net and can use that size to create goals. So maybe it doesn't have to be quite as high. Right. He's a, that's. I think that's actually a great point uh, because he's he's a, a guy with size that understands how to use it. Yep. And, you know, when we talk about all these big guys every year, there's always a couple of guys who are monsters who play like marshmallows. <laughs> and, you know, while while Beecher isn't like some like physical, you know, he's not he's not going to roll into games and, uh, you know, dominate physically. He's not going to take over games with that aspect of his game. He It doesn't shy away from that uh, that part of his play at all. Yeah, I, I agree. I, there are a couple of forwards bigger than him size wise in this draft, but I don't know if there's any that play bigger than him. And when you combine that with the great skating, um, you just hope at at that point, you're like, Hey, we're going to take a chance that the skill level develops because if it does, you could end up with a very, very good player on your hands. And if you don't, and if it doesn't come around, then you could end up with a really good third or fourth line center. And that's not necessarily what you're hoping for uh, from the 47th pick. But it's also not an inconsequential find for for the ads. Yeah, if you can get an NHLer out of any pick beyond the first round, consider it a win. Basically, yeah. I mean, really, we've looked at we've looked at those charts and and the graphs. It's, if it's really it's really like beyond the top like seven. Yeah, like you start to feel like sweet, we did something here. But really, in the beyond the first round, you get a guy out of the forties. Uh, that could be a, an important contributor to you and not just a guy that like makes your roster. But I think Beecher has a chance to be a guy that that could, you know, great size down the middle, great skating, very much fits their personality, uh, a high character guy, high motor guy. Would make a lot of sense uh, in just in terms of the the identity Colorado has, has tried to draft to the last couple of years and in filling a role here. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I I think he would be on my short list of forwards at 47 for sure. He is a guy though. I keep seeing uh there's there's some of these some people are are starting to push him up. 
into uh like the like the 30 range and i as much as i like beecher i think that is too much yeah i can't i can't see him going in the first round certainly you, there's a certain skill level that you have to have to really be considered a first round prospect and i'm just not sure it's there speaking of skill level we're going to go uh to my to my second guy here um it's a Finnish kid. I'm, I'm, I really like, uh, I, I really like the projection on him. He's kind of a, uh, a late guy, a late addition to my list of favorites here, but Patrick Puistola, uh, Finnish kid, uh, comes from their junior leagues. Really interesting goal score here. And I think that Colorado definitely needs to walk out of this draft with that. There are too many shooters just pure shooters in this draft class for them not to find their way to one. And I think this kid could definitely help them in that area. Uh, there's a lot of holes in the game. Uh, the The effort isn't always great. The skating isn't going to stand out to you. All of that needs a lot of work. The two-way play is just okay. But the skill level really is very quite, it's, it's quite high. And uh, especially when it comes to scoring goals. And that's what really jumps off the ice for me. Yeah, it's it's definitely going to be interesting how the Avs view those type of players because I think there's a, a number of guys that can score, but where do they feel comfortable in the skills that are surrounding that type of thing for them? Because you have someone like a Kaliev that we talked about maybe at 16 where you're basically just paying for goal scoring only if you're going yeah. for a player like that. So if you're looking for someone with a little bit more versatility, especially in, a, in the second round like this, that could be somewhere they look. Yeah. And if, <clears throat> if you are looking for versatility, um, you know, police is going to be a guy that you're, you're kind of dreaming on. It's going to be a lot of projection. Of course it's um, with a lot of these guys that are really the snipers. You have to project a good amount. Yeah, which projection is a really, really nice, fancy word for guesswork. Uh, you're you're hoping that, that the guy develops in a lot of other areas of his game, and, and a guy like Beecher, too. Like you're, That's what you're hoping. You're hoping that parts of the, the game that you haven't seen from him come around and develop over time uh, to round him out as a prospect with Puistola. There's a lot of it that has to go on. But I just I love I love the the hands and the goal scoring, and at forty seven, uh, I would be I would have no issues with them taking a shot on a, a guy with high end skill, where it's like, hey, you're gonna have to teach him how to skate. You're probably gonna have to teach him how to play hockey. You might have to uh, teach him to to care, but he can shoot the puck, and that's real hard to find. And as much as I don't love the idea of taking that chance in the first round. I like it a lot more in round two. Yeah, I I think that's fair. It, the The concern there for me is teaching them how to care. That's the one that it always seems like you either have or you don't, and yeah. it's it's up to the player to figure that one out on their own. It's easily one of the red flags that makes me the most uncomfortable. You know, oh, this guy can't do this. Oh, this guy can't do that. Okay, fine, you can work around some of that stuff. But if this guy, and especially in a draft year where everything is on the line, if a guy's not going to care, uh, why would a team care to draft him? You know, like, why why would that be a priority for them if the player himself can't get himself up to, to care enough about the game in his draft year with everything on the line? 
Right, and it's a, it's a perfectly fair concern as well. The one advantage I do often give to the Euros, like Pistola, is they have the opportunity to play pro against men, unlike many of the people in North America. So that's an advantage for him as well, is that he understands what it takes to play against the big guys. Yeah, he will get that opportunity before a lot of the guys drafted around him uh, in North America. That's a good point. And it's always something we talk about every year that, you know, they play against men and like, yes, like the the men aren't very good. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in that league. But <laughs> it's not that they're not it's not their skill level that is appealing when you're talking about what the prospect is playing against. It's the physical maturity, the right. experience. You know, the the understanding of how to play the game. If a guy has already been able to, to hang with guys who've been doing this for a lot longer than they have, those are all positive signs. And especially if a guy uh, can handle handle it physically. But that's all good stuff. Yeah, I agree there. All right, let's go ahead and take our first break here. Um, we've got a lot of these guys to talk about today. So uh, not a lot of frills today, not a lot of chit chat, just going to get straight into the information, get straight into getting into these guys. And uh, we're going to continue that on the other side. This is the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage. We'll be right back. If you're living in Colorado and you are craving some good old Southern barbecue, be sure to give Moe's Original Barbecue a try. My favorite thing about Moe's Original Barbecue is we are a Southern soul food revival. We make everything from scratch daily, house-made smoked meats, and customer service to the next level. That was Robbie Peoples, one of the managers over at Moe's Original Barbecue. And like he mentioned, they have incredible food, awesome customer service, and I think my favorite part is how cool the environment is in both of their locations. We have live music at Moe's at our south location, 3295 South Broadway, which is a full PA system, ticket sales. Uh, we have national bands. We have local bands. If you're a local band interested in playing, feel free to contact us at mosdenver.com. We would love to have you come down and play for a big old party at Mo's Original Barbecue. Not only do they have live music, but they also have a bowling alley and a dozen TVs with all of your favorite games on. They have two locations, one in downtown Denver off Broadway and 6th, and of course the other one that Robbie mentioned in Inglewood. I would recommend some Mo's to someone because we cater to all needs a family-friendly atmosphere we have colorado beers on tap all the games on the tvs it will blow your mind with amazing barbecue welcome in segment number two here the bsn avalanche podcast presented by total beverage i'm aj he is nathan what's up dude how's your day been been good so far just finished up some chipotle burrito so letting that settle nice Nice. Did you do anything yesterday for National Cheese Day? I mean, I eat cheese like every day. Like just a snack for me is just a bowl of cottage cheese. So it's just like every other day, I guess. So you were just like, I celebrate this all the time. It's yeah, fine. This is just my life. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that works. I mean, that works for me. All good. Uh, I also did not do anything special because I also regularly uh, eat the cheese. So. That sounds like a game. Eat the cheese. <laughs> mousetrap or something. Going yeah, on I was thinking mousetrap could have been called eat the cheese. <laughs> I wonder if there's like a European version or more likely like a Canadian version where it was called eat the cheese. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> the let's, uh, yeah, exactly. Like uh, there was a I remember I had like this weird. Uh, so uh, I part of my family was lives in Utah. 
And so I grew up going to Salt Lake and Ogden uh, as a kid all the time to visit family. And they had like this weird, like Mormon version of games every once in a while, which I didn't know at the time, but I, I found out that those were like, as like later on in life, I was like, Oh yeah, I know that game. It was whatever it was called. And I was like, what are these? <laughs> and I found out that they had like, they had like their own like special version of stuff. And I was like, Oh, interesting i didn't know that yeah i'm i'm curious how many of them there are i can't think of any of them now because i tried to blot out all those memories <laughs> but uh yeah that those like knockoff games i always do wonder about that stuff like if somebody just came up with the same idea and just renamed it something ridiculous now well, there's money to be made there maybe eat the cheese write it down yeah, eat, the che- <laughs> eat the cheese coming up with great ideas here on the bsn avalanche podcast uh, okay, let's keep our conversation going here into the second round, guys. We uh, talked some defensemen, talked a little bit of forward there in that in that first segment. We're gonna start this segment with kind of a controversial defenseman, and we're gonna instead of two and two this this segment, we're gonna talk a little bit at length about Anthony Honka. Yeah, he's you know we mentioned him on the the sixteen podcast a little bit just because he kind of was in that conversation to start the year and then fell out pretty quickly uh and unfortunately the start of his year was just quite slow and and it knocked him down fast he struggled uh, at the holinka he struggled early in the year in the liga to the point where he wasn't even playing for his jyp team they ended up sending him down to the mestas at times he eventually ended up getting moved to a different liga team where actually that's where he finally started to kind of get his feet back under him. But he's still a super interesting prospect for me, especially at somewhere like 47. He's kind of the opposite of Korzak, where Korzak was super safe pick and reliable. If you want to swing for the fences, I think Honk is more the pick. I do really love that upside there. And that's why I think the game, the conversation is interesting. And I think that's the debate that NHL teams were probably having in their war rooms was the, the upside that we've seen for the last year, you know, he just didn't have a great year. And the upside though, that we've seen previously, where did it go? Did it disappear? Is it ever coming back? Is it, is it just a flash in the pan from a 17 year old? Like what, what happened? That caused it. Is it just one of those years where things just didn't go well for him? I mean, that that is the question. And like I said, the fact that he went back to the Mestis and, and did very well there and then played for his, the they loaned him to another Liga team and did quite well there as well. Gives me hope that maybe it just wasn't a great situation for him. But it's also a tough situation because... You still want to project him there, but before this year, you're saying, oh, yeah, he's going to get there. And now you're like, mm, I hope he gets there. Yeah, he's. What do you think about this talk about him in the third round? I mean, boy, if he's there in the third round, I'd be trying to move up to get him. I'll put it that way. <laughs> I mean, they have the, you know, the abs would have the first pick. Uh, They wouldn't have to. Oh, that's right. We have Ottawa's third. I forgot. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I would, I would take him easy there for sure. Wouldn't think twice about it. 
what kind of what kind of expectations you know do, do you think taking him with a third round pick at, at the top of the third round like that would help him kind of mentally ease back on what the expectations might have been um i don't think it matters that much i once he falls out of the first round i think expectations are pretty off for him to be honest whether it's 47 or 63 is that the first yeah 63 yeah um uh, i I think he understands where he needs to go and, and what he needs to get done. And the pressure, it, it's still a top 100 pick. So as far as that goes, I guess there's a little bit of pressure. But once you're past the first round, I think it's negligible. Okay. I, I do wonder about a guy like that and just, just not knowing the circumstances of why he had the year that he had. Um, you know, did it did it, did the pressure of being a top prospect get to him? Like, what could it have been? Anything that helps, right? Because a guy with that kind of talent is certainly one that you definitely want to find reasons to keep keeping an eye on once you get into a certain area of the draft. Oh, yeah, for sure. But as usual, you know, I don't get to be in the in the room when they do interviews with players like this. And he would definitely be one that I would interview with just to see where he's at. That's a guy you would do deep background on. Right. You would talk to, like you talk to his parents you talk to his middle school teachers, his coaches, everything. Like you would get as deep into that guy's life as you possibly could uh, to try and figure out who he is and what makes him tick and what went wrong this year. Because, you know, and he's certainly not the only uh, highly ranked guy coming into the season to tumble out of here. Uh, you know, Max Chaikovich couldn't even get an invite to the combine. Yeah. I mean, that was a little surprising that he didn't get an invite, but. Mm. <laughs> he had a tough year, we'll put it that way. Right. And you do wonder about guys like that coming in where you're just like, what happened here? Yep. What went wrong? But you're still dreaming on the kid because he's, he did flash that high-end ability as a defenseman. And he's very much that, you know, we've, we've talked about this before. He's very much that archetype of the Finnish defenseman. He's a little bit smaller, but he's a great skater and a great puck mover. And, when he's on, he can absolutely just take games over. Yeah, he is. He's. It's the type of player that the Avs haven't had in their system in a long time. I, I guess you can kind of count Makar, but you know he was never going to be an AHLer and was always going to jump straight into the NHL. <laughs> he was. He was always in the system as long as he wanted to be. Right. Exactly. So, and Honka, <laughs> I think, is one that. You know, you have options. You could leave him in the league or bring him over to the AHL or whatever. But he's one that I think we can expect, you know, maybe two, three, four year type guy in the system. You'd like to give him NHL games over that time, especially if it's four years. But you can sit him down there. It can be something you don't have in your depth. Yeah, it definitely, he definitely brings a skill level to your back end that you just do. I mean, you straight up don't have. And beyond uh, Malosh and Timmons, you really don't even know that you have meaningful prospects on the blue line at all. Right. I, I agree with you there. That's that's why I want to be aggressive with defensemen with picks like 47 and 63. It's just a matter of, do you want to take the risk of a Honka and go for that skill level down there? Or do you want to have someone more safe, like a Korzak that's bigger, physical, going to be able to take care of things in his own end a little bit better? Well, if you take Korzak at 47 and then Honka at 63, you don't have to make Yeah, decisions. great. Done. Make it happen. 
<laughs> you, you you totally punt on the decision making at all, and you just say both. <laughs> I that'd be my draft. I'd I'd walk away happy from day two right there. So you would be cool with two forwards and then two defensemen like that. Would you Would you take three? Would you go so far as to take three defensemen in rounds two and three, assuming they keep all those picks? Oh boy, that'd be tough. I mean, it rebuilds it. It, you're, you're you're done, right? And then you can take just forwards for the rest of the draft. I guess probably a goalie in there too, but... Yeah. yeah well, I mean, he might have taken a goalie at 16. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, three in a row feels tough, especially with two-thirds. Because it, it does feel like you want to give someone with maybe a little bit more of that higher end an opportunity in the forward side of things, too. Because you don't want to load up on defensemen just to have a hole at forward either, right? Sure. But, I mean, if you go forward forward at 4 and 16, then you're feeling pretty good about that, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, to go two forwards and then 3D, it would feel better, certainly. I still wonder, because 4, you're basically expecting not to play in the AHL. 16 yeah. in a perfect world would jump straight in, but maybe it's a year or a year and a half in the AHL for him. Yeah, 16, I think if it's a, like a, a CHL kid, uh, you're I, maybe not even, maybe it doesn't even matter. Maybe it's just two years and then sure. let him jump in, um, which is funny because we're talking about Cout like, well, if he doesn't make the NHL roster by December, there's a problem, you know. <laughs> But we're in the same exact position uh, talking about this 16th pick, and we're like, oh, if it's two years, it's fine. And then, you know, what, we get a year into it, and then if he doesn't make the roster, is that going to be a problem? Well, I mean, I think Cout's a little bit special there because his first AHL year was his third year pro. So there yeah, are a little bit more expectations. It's obviously a little different situation yeah. than a guy who plays a year at, you know, uh, the, a year of college hockey or right. one more year in the OHL. Or WHO or whatever. Right. I, and, and then, like, makes the big leap. But, yeah. And and my point there is you're not really expecting your first-round picks to be organizational depth for very long. They're going to be on the big roster quickly. So you would like to fill out your AHL depth with actual prospects a bit more. Yeah, although I do think that that's going to slow down quite a bit because Colorado's moving into a different era it is uh, and where they're, you know, like the fourth pick, you expect that guy to be like, look, he's got some gravitas. He's going to he's going to get a little bit of extra burn as the fourth pick uh, to come in and, and make some noise. But the 16th pick is still going to have to earn that job. You know, that's even though he's a first round pick, I don't I don't think that the 16th pick is such an automatic like, oh, he was a first rounder. You've got to give him a chance. You know, it's. He's still going to have to come in and, and take someone's job. And and that's perfectly fair. I, I agree with that. And he may well end up being an organizational depth guy for an extra year or two because of that. But on the other side of that coin, because of where the Avalanche are, picks are going to become more expendable starting this year, basically. And that means this is probably our last, last draft to really load up on guys. Yeah, I do... I I hope the organization disagrees with you about picks becoming I, more expensive. I hope so but too, but it's I just not reality. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think you're probably right. Um but I do think um 
I do, I do, I do think they're in, a, in an interesting spot. And with the extra, with that, with that Ottawa pick at the top of the third round, you know, when they, when they took Nick Henry at the top of the fourth round, uh, they said we view that as like a late third round pick. And we had Nick Henry in the third round, and he was still there. Boom, took him. That's kind of the idea that you can have. You can look at that top pick in the third round as a late second rounder, if you'd like. And taking a a big swing on a guy like Honka's talent certainly gets very intriguing uh, when when you're in that spot and you're looking at it like that. Right. You have to take a chance somewhere in the draft eventually. So if you pick a bunch of safe guys, you end up with eight more third liners that you just have too many of already. (laughs) Yeah, and I do think that them taking a big talent swing once a year is great. You know, when they took... Igor in the fifth round a couple years ago. I loved that because yeah. it was, this is a talented guy with, with a lot more skill than you normally are going to be able to get in the fifth round. And I think even in his, even in his freshman year in the AHL, which, you know, certainly was limited. I, I think that immediately showed that that's a much better, much more talented fifth rounder than they normally take especially with a guy like Anton Lindholm, another former fifth rounder sitting right there. So I do, I do think that the, at least once after the first round, you want to take one really big cut at a flawed guy, but one that has really high end talent with something, some, a guy that has some kind of high end skill somewhere. Right. It's, it's something that's very easy to fall back on when you pick a guy, especially if they really excel in one area. You say, okay, you have this. This is NHL caliber. We can use this and then work on improving everything else. Okay, let's uh, let's talk about a couple of other guys here. We still have two guys we wanted to get to in this segment. Uh, who is your other guy? Uh, my other guy of 47 would be uh, Robert Maestro Simone. Uh, he USHL player. Yeah. He played for the Chicago steel. Uh, I didn't really know much about him going into the year, but then I saw him at the Holinka and I was like, Oh, okay. I think that NHL scouts probably did the same. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, you talked about uh Pistola or in the first segment, this mm-hmm. is another guy who can score goals. He's got a big, big shot. Uh, <laughs> not always sure where it's going, but it goes there quickly. <laughs> Uh, and he's a good skater, strong offensive instincts. I, I really think he's the type of player that, that teams are going to like in that second round type area. Yeah, he is an interesting guy. Uh, was one of my favorite midseason guys, and I've come off of him a little bit as yeah. the year has gone on. Um, just the the shot is definitely one that you can just say well this is going to continue to be a thing like yeah. there's nothing stopping him from doing what he did over and over and over this year which is cruise through the neutral zone take a pass from his center fly down the wing and fire one pass to goaltender yep in transition he's got the kind of shot where he's going to be able to that's going to translate to any level in the world he's going to be able to do that but is he going to be able to find ways to score goals when he gets in the NHL and the gaps get a lot, a lot tighter. And when guys get a lot more aggressive and taking that shot away from him, is he going to be able to adjust? Is he still going to be able to find the creativity in him to, uh, to, to get it, to get open or to find a teammate? 
because I didn't see a lot of that this year uh, in the U.S. in his time in the USHL where he just looked very meat and potatoes to me. He looked very uh, north, south, straight lines kind of guy. Very, I, I don't want to call him Sample Ranta because very different guys in their all around games, but kind of the same mentality where there's not a lot of side to side going on. There's not a lot of creativity. It's, it's very much just go back and forth. Yeah. Up and, and down the ice. I, I think it's a fair criticism for sure. I, I think he has the ability off the puck to find the soft spots well enough. You're going to have to put him with someone that can, that can get him the puck and then he'll be able to finish from there. Um, I, I definitely do question if he has the creativity and agility to, to go around guys by himself though. Yeah, and that's where I at the at forty seven, I really don't know. Um, that would be a guy where I would like him a lot more at sixty three. Yeah, uh, at at forty seven, I there might be guys that have a little more, uh, either either better all around skills or guys with you know like 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 I I would take Pustola over him because uh, I think I think the shot is better, and so it's. They're good at the same thing, but he's not as good as the other guy. That's how I would go. So I I do like his game, though. Uh, I do like him as a prospect, and I'm, I'm interested to see how he develops over the years. But that's a dude that I came off of more as I watched him more. Because I, I started worrying about, can he do this against tougher competition? Yep, and it's definitely a fair... Uh criticism especially someone of his size 5'10 170 you know he's not going to be able to go through guys if he can't get around them okay let's go ahead and uh, I'll get to we'll get to one last guy here <sighs> before we move on to segment number three in which we talk about more second round guys this is uh my guy here Jameson uh Jameson Reese uh out of the OHL not a great OHL year, and I keep finding my way to back to these guys. <laughs> Reese is interesting because he's not a very good skater at all. Not he, There's a lot of work that needs to be done. And he's an undersized guy, so undersized and uh, not a great skater is very iffy right off the bat. He's also a guy that played out of position in Sarnia all year where he played center and he's not going to be a center in the NHL or maybe any other level. Uh, he looks very much out of place there. Uh, does not does not have the game. Uh, the, the offensive game doesn't have the, the speed uh, to, to make a difference in the middle of the ice. He needs to be a wing. What I love about him is he's a maniac. That is a dude that your classic tryhard yeah. maximizes his effort every single time he's on the ice. Uh, you know he's he's buzzing around doing something. He's not a guy that gets out there and you're not you're not going to confuse uh, trying hard and being effective. Um, he's a guy that that works really hard and accomplishes things when he's on the ice. And I I love the I love his presence. I love his swagger. He's not afraid of anything. Um, really, really, really high compete level. And I think he's got some pretty good skill to go along with it. The big concern for me is the skating. Uh, yep. He needs he needs to seriously work on that. Um, but I I watch him and I 
I can't help but think that this is a Brendan Gallagher type player. It's he's an interesting one because he's a little bit different than a lot of the forwards we talked about so far. He only scored ten goals this year and five the year before, and he at least a two to one ratio for him with assists in that category. So yeah. I, I think he's probably a little bit more of a complimentary player when it comes to point production for sure. He's another one that has struggled with injuries at a kidney laceration this year is a bit of a freak thing, but yeah, for those, that's tr- the kind of injury. Like we're talking about hip injury or earlier with Holmstrom, a kidney laceration is one where you're like, okay, like yeah. you write that off. You know, that's not going to affect the way he plays at all. <laughs> and um, you don't expect it to happen again. Certainly not. But <laughs> for these guys that work so hard and play like maniacs, you wonder if a little bit of injury proneness, is a bit more of a concern. Yeah. I mean, the way that he plays plus his slight build, it's yeah. a very, very fair question. Is he, is he going to be beat up all the time? Like Matt Calvert right. who misses 20 games a year because he plays a certain style and he just can't stay healthy. Exactly. I, I think Calvert is, is quite a good comparison for him to be honest. That's, I mean, that's fair too. I could, I could, I could absolutely see uh, him ending up as a guy like that. I think there's a little more offensive upside there. Uh, and I think getting him on the wing would, and, and on a skilled team with, with guys who don't suck. Yeah. Give up would, the- would help him a lot. It's always really hard when you're trying to talk about how these guys project when they're coming out of really tough situations. Of course. Yeah. You, you have to take a lot of things into account in, in situations like that when you're trying to project and, and it makes it very difficult. And he's probably not quite, as zippy around the ice as Calvert is either. So you take some of that and throw it more into the offensive side of things. And and there you go. Yeah, he's, uh, I love, I love watching him play. And I think that a lot of his game is going to translate just fine. Um, But I, I do, I do worry uh, about the size and the injuries and, um, how it's going to hold up, but really it's just the skating that really holds me back from saying this is a top 50 kid. Easy. Like I could, I could take him at 47, but you'd be understanding almost like with Beecher where it's on the opposite, right? Beecher's a great skater, yeah. but you're still talking about same level of effectiveness. You might be ending up with a bottom six guy but it's a bottom six guy that that would end up being a a huge heart and soul guy for you. Yeah. It could be it could be a major, you know, the intangibles are a major upside here. For sure. Um and if you get an NHL player out of him, you're going to get one that's going to be in the NHL for a long long time. Yeah, it's it's the type of guy that the Avs desperately need to do a better job finding in the draft. <laughs> Yes, that's a that's actually a great point and a, t- a whole topic that we could really get into one of these days because they have done a very poor job of developing bottom six guys. Yep, uh, drafting them themselves, especially they haven't. It's they've done a fine job of drafting high end NHL players, which is so what in the world? That's <laughs> backwards from most organizations, yeah, right? And they've done a great job of filling their top six and they've done uh, a good job of, of finding defensemen. Uh, although really McCarr is the only drafted and Barry, I guess, but Barry's 29 now. So how much more can we continue to give them credit <laughs> for him? Um, but 
they've done a good job of finding some of these guys and building that that part of the roster up. But the back end, now that they're competitive and now that they're going to be coming into a like a real competitive window, um, you have to get value out of your bottom six. And the best way teams are able to do that is by drafting and developing role players. Exactly. Uh, finding guys from all over the draft that are able to come in. San Jose is the phenomenal example of this. They do an outstanding job of getting role players. Even if they are with second and third round picks, they hit on NHL players all the time. You know, Matt Nieto was a second round pick for the Sharks. They did it so well that they could wave him. Well, and they, and they've lost both Matt Nieto and Ryan Carpenter who have turned into quality fourth line guys on, on playoff teams like Nieto and Carpenter, you know, for, for Vegas and the Avs, like, those are teams that went to the playoffs. These are not scrub scrub teams. And <laughs> right. they still had they played important roles on those teams. And and the Sharks are a great example because that's exactly what you can do when you start really pushing for that cup and you need to squeeze every dollar out of the cap. Yep. Paying Matt Calvert 2.8 a year doesn't look great. Right, you don't do that. San Jose does not mess around with paying those those guys. They go out and they they trade those young guys away when they have to get paid, and they find more internally. Exactly. They don't go into the free agent market and build the bottom half of their roster. That's not what they use free agency for. They use free agency and the trade market to build the high end of their roster to keep them highly competitive. And where you know when they develop holes, they they trade for the Eric Carlsons, they trade for the Gustav Nyquists, and it's because they're able they draft and develop so well that. Other teams want their want their stuff. Yep. They want they oh San Jose likes that guy. We like that guy. It's like in college sports in in high school recruiting. Oh, Duke basketball wants to recruit this guy. He must be a four star guy. <laughs> you know, like if the, and he could be a two star guy, but they like him as a role player, so he becomes a four star guy just because Duke wants him. San Jose San Jose has a guy in their organization. They like him. Okay, there must be something to that. Yeah, I agree. It makes it a bit funny that they regularly pick up the abs casts off cast offs for their AHL team, but that's a different yeah, conversation. Well, <laughs> that pipeline between those two teams has been really weird the last couple of years. And it really it started with the uh Jamie McGinn, TJ Galliardi, Michael Scarbosa trade. Yep. Uh where they they started swapping players and then then they just started like signing guys that were cast offs. Yep. And now San Jose is just like loading up on dudes who have spent time at abs camps. Yeah, it's super, super strange. <laughs> and you're like, okay, so the abs are have a good enough eye to find these guys, but aren't good enough to Lock sign them. Out. Them or <laughs> like like it's it's very it's a very weird situation going on between those two organizations right now. Uh, but that's where, you know, we're, we're off the, off the board here, yeah. but let's go ahead and take that uh, second break here. We will get back on the other side and get into some more of these second round guys. Uh, I do want to talk at least about one goaltender just yeah. because it's worth it too. Yeah. So we will do that. But before that, I've got to tell you guys all about game changing coffee Strava Craft is a CBD enriched coffee that's really changed lives. Their reviews are incredible, so check them out. The CBD infused coffee has taken away long term migraines, back pain, arthritis, IBS. It's helped decrease anxiety, you name it. CBD is all natural and not psychoactive. The coffee is rich and tasty. We couldn't recommend it more to our listeners. Check it out for yourself today and receive 20% off when you use promo code BSN2019 
at checkout. You'll get it shipped straight to your door. That wraps segment number two here. This is the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage. We'll be right back. Welcome in third and final segment of today's BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage. Nathan, what's your favorite color? Blue. Easy. Really? Not even close. Like way ahead of all the other colors. Why is that? Um, I'd like to say it's because of the avalanche, but that would just be a lie. <laughs> okay. I, I don't even really know why. I just always like blue. All right. Well, you and I would work together well because my favorite color is orange. Ah, uh, Broncos country. Yeah. 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 I know that there are, I'm sure there are listeners to our show who are rolling their eyes, but you guys are wrong. Orange <laughs> is awesome. Blue and orange together looks awesome. And that is best exemplified up in Boise with the blue field. I don't know. I like blue, but I don't like looking at that thing. Boy, that's a lot of, it is a lot of blue. (laughs) A lot. Uh, Very interesting. Um, Let's move on. Second round. Yeah. Yeah, I guess this would be more of a guy that, I think would be maybe a bit of a reach at 47, but a reach I would be happy with is Nikita Alexandrov. And if he's there at 63, I'd be very interested in him. Uh, He's a smaller forward from the QMJHL actually has kind of an interesting backstory. His parents are Russian, but he grew up in Germany. And then unlike cider, he decided to come over for his leading up to his draft to play with Charlottetown And that's where he really impressed me, uh, particularly with his goal-scoring ability. He's another guy that can put the puck in the back of the net. Uh, I actually like his offensive instincts, I think, more than pretty much anyone else we've talked about. I think he's one of the smarter players. Uh, His problem is I don't love him on the defensive end very much, and I I know Q kind of gets a rap for that kind of thing, that it's a more offensive league, but I I think it holds true with Alexandrov as well. Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, what position does he play? Because Uh, there's, you read any scouting report on him and that's going to be a large part of the conversation is position. He's listed as a center and he, he does play center for Charlottetown, but he's another type that I think is more of a wing at the next level. Okay. How much does that hurt is what he does well? Uh, it. I think it's fine, especially with his shooting ability. Uh, it's definitely going to be adjust, an adjustment for him. He has a lot more ice to work with in the center, of course, and, and he'll have to work up the boards, but he's fine. He's fully capable of, of winning board battles and the like when he's engaged and working for the puck, and he does that well offensively. I like the hockey sense here. Yeah. Uh, I like that. I really have taken more of a shine to smarter players over the last couple of years and moved away from raw skill as something that I'm easily seduced by. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do really like the way he processes the game. I think that for a late second, early third round pick, it's a great fit. He, he's a bit of a, a, a different one, too. He's not the best skater. Uh, he's quite agile. He can make the one move to get around a guy, but mm-hmm. he's not going to blow anyone away with his speed or anything like that. Well, and when he makes the move, he's it's going to take him a minute to to get going again. Right, exactly. And that's, 
The skating is definitely, I think the skating is, is good enough that you can work on it and it wouldn't be a problem in the NHL. I agree. Uh, but it's definitely not going to be something where you're like, this is a, this is a major strength of what he does. Um, but I think that it's not a major issue uh, at the NHL level. I would worry a lot more about defense yep. moving forward. For sure. That's definitely the weak part of his game. And it's definitely one of those guys, if you're drafting him, you're not drafting him to say, okay, well, this guy will be a nice two-way dude where we can rely on him on both ends of the ice. No, you're drafting him for him to put pucks in the net and you want him to go forward. So he's he is a top six or bust kind of guy, not a wherever he lands, he lands. I think so. I mean, of course, you never know. Players, Some players are capable of that change, but you're drafting him with a top six goal scoring ability in mind. If the abs go forward, forward, how comfortable are you at 47? Uh, I mean, if we take, yeah, that it'd be a little tough if they go forward, forward. Um, like I said, I, I think he's probably more realistic at 63. Um, if we go Byram four, whoever 16 or, or Soderstrom at 16, whatever, then I'd be more interested in Alexandrov at 47. But like you said, we could do Korzak at 47. And then if you wanted a forward at 63 and Alexandrov's still there, that's an easy sell for you. Yeah. You, I, I don't need any convincing at that point. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's an interesting guy. Um, I think he's more of a third round guy. Yeah, that's um, fair. And I think the true, the same is probably true for Jameson Reese. Um, why why do we like those guys in the second round? Like, why is it, what is it about those guys? And we know that they're like third round guys, <laughs> but we both, and we like, we understand that. Like, yeah, totally. And if they were to go up to 47 and take one of those dudes, we'd be like, all right, we're cool with it. Like, like, is it just the upside or is it fit? Or is it, what is it about Alexandrov? Cause I know what it is with me and a guy like Reese or a guy like Beecher. Uh, but with Alexandrov, what is it about him that you, you just, you're totally fine if if they draft him 30 spots too early. I I think it's the upside mixed with the type of player that he is because it's not something that the Avs have an abundance of in their system or on their team for that matter. With If you're projecting him to reach his peak, he brings something very unique to the Avs. It's not running ourselves over with another third-line type Calvert player or a another confer Jost, whoever it's something a little bit different with the, the very intelligent offensive instincts and the ability to put pucks in the back of the net for you. That's, you know, we've seen, we would like Kerfoot to put pucks in the back of the net regularly, sure. but that's just not who he is. So, so you draft a guy with that in his DNA, who's right. just a pure, he's a goal scorer born to be a goal scorer. And that's what he does. Well, yeah, that's, that's what I like about Alexandrov. All right, I can absolutely buy that. That's fine with me. Um, it all depends on the board, of course. You know, Naturally, yeah. Like, number one thing is like, it's funny because you're like, oh, well, what if we take this guy at this position? And you're like, all right, well, who else is there? Yeah, right. If... You know, because I can tell you the Red Wings probably were not sitting around in their war room last year doing mock drafts expecting to take Joe Valeno at 30. 
Right. If like a Dorofeyev is sitting at 47 or something. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, then in that case, you're like, okay, the the league is stupid. Yeah. And exactly. Thank you. Right. But that's how I felt about Connor Timmons a couple of years ago when I wrote that in his scouting report that if he gets to the second round, everybody else is dumb. <laughs> so, uh, and then I felt great about that for one year. And now I'm like, oh, maybe I'm the dumb one. But it's all right. Fault. Yeah, exactly. It's it's my fault for, for liking the kid in his draft year that he <laughs> got, that he suffered a concussion. Yeah, that's, I'll take it. It's fine. If you I like Tishin too, stuff, man. we might be onto something if you like Tishin too. I did not know what a Joey Hishin was when he was drafted. <laughs> I That was an era in which I wasn't following the draft very closely. And I was, I was doing other things when he got taken. And I was, I remember even writing in the, in the mile high hockey thread, it's still on there. You can go back and find it. I was like, I don't know what a Joey Hishin is or what's a Joey Hishin or <laughs> some, some form of is they just draft a guy in the witness protection program. <laughs> Unfortunately, so, kind of, yes, they did. <laughs> yeah. It ended up that way. Yeah. Um, all love to, to Joey Hishin. I hope. Uh, oh yeah, of course. I hope it all. Uh, I hope. I hope he's happy wherever he is and whatever he's, he's doing. I hope he's made an awesome life. I think he's working with like a hockey tech kind of place. I don't know the actual name of this, the, what he's working with, but it's like part coaching, part analytical. That's cool. Well, I definitely hope he's happy doing that. Yeah. Anyway, back to 2019 here. Yeah. Uh, not is uh, it goalie time. It is. Uh, we're going to get into the other goalie that could get drafted in the first round. Uh, Mad Sogard playing for uh, Medicine Hat in the WHL. First of all, he's enormous. Like, huge goaltender. He's six foot seven. Yeah, and that's uh, usually checkbox number one for the abs on their goaltender checklist, isn't it? <laughs> It well, and and it's funny because like we talk about, oh, can he stop pucks? And because anytime, anytime you draft a small goaltender, you're like, well, can he stop a puck? Because that's all I care about. And it's like, yeah, sure. Isn't that easier to do when you're six seven instead of six feet tall? Yeah, it is. You Kinda just cover more space yeah. when you like, go into the butterfly and your shoulders are still over the crossbar. I mean, <laughs> right? Like he's huge. But he's also really good. And, yep. and I mean, put up great numbers for Medicine Hat this year. Um, was not great at the U-20s. But that's okay. That's an understatement, but yeah. <laughs> like, it's okay because he's not playing on a stacked team. You know, he's not... He's... He's he's playing in one of those situations where you hope that the guy puts on a show because he's going to be under siege the entire time. Yeah, no. He played for Denmark and when you go into the game against like Canada, you're like, okay, if we give up less than 7 goals, we did good, boys. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And not a great showing. Um how do, is that going to hurt him at all? Or is it just one of those things where you're like, look, he's playing for Denmark. What do you expect? Yeah, I, I would write it off for the most part. I, I'm sure some teams will definitely knock him for it. Um, 
you know, you can see if you do well, it definitely bumps you up like what Cider did at, at his world championships, which is against the men. But but still, you can definitely help yourself, I think, a lot more than you can hurt yourself at these world type tournaments. I think so. I think so, too. Unless you unless you're just bad. Yeah, unless you're Anthony Honka. <laughs> yeah, right. And. And even in Sogard's like. Obviously, he wasn't good uh, for Denmark, but there's so much context that goes into that. I think you do just light it on fire and just like forget it. Yeah, and I mean, you you go back to his WHL and you see, okay, this guy over the course of a season is just way, way, way better than what he showed there, and you don't worry too much about it. If there's one thing uh, that I found interesting when talking to a couple of scouts about him, is they love his maturity. They they like the person, and obviously, the size is great. Okay, so that's checkbox number two for the like, abs. Production is great. Like all those things are obviously you need to have those, uh, or I should say they're very important. But having a guy that you believe in character wise, that's I think it's and especially from Colorado's perspective, that's been a huge thing for them. I know they've taken guys off their board because they've had problems uh, with some character issues over the years. And they just said, look, we're not going to deal with it. We're not interested in trying to fight it with this kid. Uh, it's just not worth it. We're, we can find a comparable talent elsewhere. And with uh, Sogard, not a conversation. Great kid. Yeah. I know that there are at least two NHL teams that have him in the first round. Is that rich for your blood? I mean, yes. <laughs> is it I don't is need... it rich because it's a first round goaltender and it's just like that stigma or correct? Yes, I I don't even want to really take Knight in the top twenty. So trying to slip Sogard in there too would be tough. It, so at thirty one, Boston yeah, wins sure. the cup and they take him. Whatever, that's fine. Yeah. Okay. But if if you're looking at giving up a, a top twenty pick i definitely wouldn't have any interest in that even even top 25 i think i like skaters i feel like it's a bumper sticker <laughs> you could you could put that on the back of the your team bus going to the draft i like skaters <laughs> um but would you take him at 47 yeah i i would certainly consider it at least it's you know you can you can pick up him there at 47 and say, look, we got one of the best goaltenders in this draft and we didn't have us have to spend a first round for it. Like whoever took Knight did. Okay. And that makes you what feel better. Like it, you're, it, you're it, feeling sexy. Cause you got two right. skaters. Cause you I like feel, skaters. Well, no, as far as the goalie goes, I feel like it's better value. Okay. You, you're getting a lot more out of your goalie pick that way by, by being able to get one in the second round that is arguably the second best goalie in the draft. But he is the second best goalie in the draft. Right. He's, he is not Knight. That is a fact. But you're giving up more to get Knight. So it's but it's a hard thing. Right, exactly. How much more are you giving up to, compared to how much more are you getting? I've always said I'm not great at, at projecting goalies, so I'm not sure. But that's why I'm more comfortable with maybe waiting a little bit more. <laughs> I don't disagree. Although I will say right now, if the abs ultimately end up taking night at 16, there's always going to be that little piece of me that just loves when a team says, screw it. And we're going for this. 
and and goes all in because then the abs will have a number one center, a number one defenseman, and theoretically a, a high end number one goaltender in night. Yeah. With Sogard, if they take him at 47, is he a number one guy in the NHL? Is he a high end number one guy in the NHL? Or is he more of like a, say, Grubauer caliber where you think he might end up being a, a middle of the road starter? I think a Grubauer type is, is probably a bit more realistic for someone like Sogard. It, I mean, you know, perfect world. Maybe he gets up to like Ben Bishop caliber, which would be fantastic. And if he gets to that, then you've pretty much hit a home run. I think I, it's just so hard to read with goalies. You, you project him as a middle of the road starter, but then he catches fire and, and he's the best goalie in the league or, you know, he just, has an 800 save percentage next year and disappears. It, it could go either way. Okay. So Sogard at 47 gets a thumbs up. Yeah, I, I'm, I've accepted that you pretty much take at least one goalie every year. And if you want to take a good one, I think the middle of the second for a guy like Sogard is, is a good place to do it. And when you don't have, you know, you don't know what you have in Adam Warner, you're going to find out. Um, you don't really know what you have in Eustace Anon, and yet uh, Peter Kvacha will see if he ever even gets out of the Czech 2 league. Um, for right now, you don't really know what you have in your goaltender pipeline. So, yeah, and, and Sogard would be a short-term, more short-term type player being in the CHL. So, Right, and it would be, it would, that would also be a difference for them to go with a CHL goaltender. Also, you would you would be getting that high end guy though. You would be you would finally be using a high pick and taking a high goaltender, uh, a highly ranked goaltender. Although Ananin was pretty highly ranked last year too. It wasn't like he was a total scrub or anything. Um, but with Sogard, you'd be going big on one of the one of the bigger talents, one of the higher end talents at the position in the draft class. And then I think in years down the road you could feel maybe less pressure toward to invest in the position while you do let Sogard kind of develop and see, see what you have and, you know, focus your energy on other positions down the road. I think that would be a good way to, to go about it. Cause it would kind of, and you're hoping solve the position long-term because you do only need one goaltender. Like you need one starting goaltender and then you need a backup. Right. So yeah, it it's not like you need 12 skaters per game. You need, exactly. you need one per night to play for you. You hope <laughs> most nights anyway. Um, but it's, I, I think that with Sogard, it, it would be a nice swing of the bat, a good, Hey, we're gonna, we're gonna, it's, it's, it's not going all in with Spencer Knight, but it's the next best thing. And we like the talent and we like the, everything about him. And we think he's going to be a starter for us in a few years. And then, in 2020, 2021, you feel less pressure in those years to use a high pick on a goaltender. And so I don't think it's just this year, but it has a trickle down effect for the next couple of years. It does. And we've seen it in the past. I think it would be, you'd like to see a similar track as, as Calvin Pickard kind of got because Pickard, Pickard was a second rounder as well. And you can see someone like that finishing up a CHL career quickly jumping into the AHL 
and at worst splitting jo- the job down there, if not earning the third goaltender role. And then you have a prospect that you can get comfortable with playing as a call up if you have goalie injuries and things like that. All right. I think uh, I think we're good for today. I do want to ask you one last question. We are now just a shade over two weeks from draft day itself. I can't believe that actually. That's crazy. Uh, But we're almost there, buddy. Those three picks, picks four, pick 16 and pick 47. What is your ideal draft look like today? Ooh, I'm putting you on the spot here. Probably Byram. I'll say Suzuki at 16. And I think, I'm going to say Korzak at 47. Interesting. So you would go back to the defense, even though you use the fourth pick on it. Knowing, yeah. I mean, of course, that he doesn't, Byron won't be in your system long. Well, if you want to extend it one more, then I'll say Alexandrov at 63. Interesting. Okay. Okay. I could, uh, that would get a, I think I would give that a solid like B plus. What do you have then? Um, I think I would have Turcotte, New Hook, and A 47 after two forwards is what gets me every time. Yeah. The hard decision. Yeah. Cause it's, do I, that one would be tough. Let's say 47. Uh, let's go with Ryan Johnson. Okay. I'll take that if he's at 47. Yeah. Or, or Tobias uh, Bjornfoot. I'd love that too. At 47, a good defensive prospect. Take a pass on that one. You would not be even at 47. I mean, it'd be fine at 47, but if it's between Bjornfoot and Johnson, I'm taking Johnson. Yeah. If it's between (laughs) those two, I'm taking Johnson too, man. That's, but I, I also think that's why he's gone. Johnson. Yeah. Right. Fair. Fair. (laughs) Um, I would definitely be, I I will admit if I took two forwards there, I would be probably pressing to take a defender or Sogard. Yeah, I think that's fair. If you go forward, forward, I'd be a little more enticed with a a goalie there, perhaps. But I just, eh, I just think Turcotte and Newhook would be. Yeah, I, you know, it's a, that's a stick of dynamite. Neck and neck between Suzuki and New Hook for me there at sixteen for sure. Yeah, I my second guy uh, I think is Tomasino. I love him. I just I love him. <laughs> <laughs> I I think I've pushed the chips to the table, and between New Hook and Tomasino, those are the two guys that I want at sixteen. I don't think I want a defenseman at sixteen. Yeah, it's it just doesn't quite seem to line up. You expect all the all the good defensemen that fit to be gone already. Yeah. If they moved down uh, into the 20, the early 20 range, say 24 and above, I would be very comfortable taking a defenseman. Sounds good to me. 
But at 16, I just don't think I like the guys there enough. And I love Tomasino. So that's that's where I am. <laughs> All right. So they'll take none of the guys we just said. Yeah. None of the guys that we talked about um, for various reasons. <laughs> um, but I, and well, and then at 63, like, hey, man, if John I mean, Beecher's yeah. there. <laughs> 63 is crapshoot territory. <laughs> right. 63 is like a, we could, you could do a whole podcast after the second round and just be like, okay, who do you take with that, that 63rd pick looking at the board and given the three picks you've already made, we could, we could, I mean, obviously we wouldn't have time for that because the they'll be on the clock for 10 seconds before they make their pick. But that's how interesting that kind of pick is. They could take a guy like that. So. Also, special shout out to Adam Beckman. I know that somebody is going to be listening to this and is going to be waiting to hear his name dropped. Um, Adam Beckman would be a fun prospect as well, but I think he's more like a a guy that I would take at 63 or whatever their third round pick is. Colorado's own third. So, uh, okay, let's go ahead and call this one a day, eh? Sounds good to me. It was a good one. Sweet. Um, yeah, I'm before we get out of here, I am going to pay one last bill and remind you guys that Total Beverage has a really awesome deal for BSN listeners. You already know that Total Beverage has the most liquor in Colorado at the best prices in Colorado, but now they're delivering to anywhere in the North Metro area from Wheat Ridge to Erie. Total Beverage is offering a $10 off a $50 purchase on their website and app. Use promo code BSNTAME to save those $10 off a $50 purchase for all your parties and have it delivered straight to your door. That does it for today's BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage. Uh, For Nathan Rudolph, I am AJ.